There are no supermen in the body of Christ. You can't do everything. You need other people. Other people need to come around. You need to make space in your life for other people. Ministry is about covering one another's lack. Thank you for listening to Sozo Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information on Sozo Church, visit sozospokane.com. more than God has already served you. If he does nothing else good for you in your entire life, he has already shown you more grace than you ever could show somebody else. So yes, pay the cost, and yes, keep it in check. You have already been given far more than you could ever give somebody else. This is Sozo Church. We're calling the series Beyond Propaganda. It's, it's our attempt as we look through this book to kind of see past the things that typically distract us, discourage us, move us away from the purposes and plans of God in the earth today and see past all that propaganda and see to what is real and the reality of what God is doing and what he would have for us. And uh, we're, we're wrapping up chapter two, verse 19. Paul here is facing what is, what is possible to him, what is quite certain to him being executed. And yet Paul says, I have hope. Not in my deliverance. We talked about this whole nother message we preached. You can go listen to the podcast. Whole nother message. But he says, hope, I, I hope in the Lord Jesus. That was free and extra. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. I'm sorry. This is just my ADD is just on full bore this morning. That is like the most backhanded compliment I've ever heard. Of all the people I have here with me, only one of them really cares about you guys. So I hope to send him to you because really nobody else cares about you. Sorry, that's just the way I read the Bible. Verse 21, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and the fellow and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and then I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service. Let's pray together this morning. Holy Spirit, we thank you for a living, active, breathing word. God, we thank you that we don't have to go to a dead text, but we can go to a living text. We, we thank you that we don't have to go to, to just a, a, some sort of religious uh, uh, working, but God, we can, we can turn to your word and trust that you will speak to us. And so God, this morning, we ask that you would do just that, that you would speak to your people, God, let us hear your voice. Let us respond to your word. Let us, let us hear it, receive it, and do it. And let us be transformed by it. 
for your glory, for your name, and for your renown. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. High five somebody as you have a seat. I, I didn't say talk. Gosh. Horrible thing to have a friendly church. Um, so uh, th- this morning, here, here's what I want to do. I want to let you know what we're doing before we kind of jump into this. This is an extremely personal text. As a, as a preacher, uh, it's really kind of a, a, a sort of a, a weird text to sort of make our way through this morning. Uh, you know, we could take it kind of historically and look at character studies and kind of look at all these people that are involved, or, or we could kind of look at, at sort of the situation that they're in and historically in all those things. But, but this morning, I, I want to do my best to try to apply what Paul, the, the, the elements that Paul is mentioning here about these ministers and those who they're ministering to, uh, to us as a church. So before we do that, what I want to do, though, is kind of lay down, as I see it in my mind, sort of two tracks, like train tracks, so that as we work through this passage, we're kind of working through it in a way that makes sense and working through it together. And we need these to kind of hold our framework together. So I want to make two statements that will serve as tracks, and then I want to, I want to just observe two quick things from the text. Uh, and then we've got something a little bit different for us at the end of service this morning, so just be prepared for that. It'll be super awkward, and you'll love it. Um, the first thing I want us to see is this. It's the first track that I want in your mind as we're, as we're talking this morning. It's this. You is the church. You is the church. The church is made up of people. More than an organization, a leadership structure, a building, more than a, the church is not a religious institution or a social construct. It was, it was dreamed up, designed by, and delivered to us by Jesus. The church is God's design. The church is God's instrument in the earth today, and it is made up of people. So when you talk bad about the church, you're talking bad about yourself if you're saved. <laughs> See, there's no like, we, we may have uh, paths and, and, and ways to make commitments to becoming a member, and that's an important thing, and we believe in it. But the reality is, when you were reconciled back to Christ, you, by default, were reconciled to his people as well. Therefore, you are a part of the church, whether you like it or not. I'm sorry, millennials. It's just the reality. You can like dream up new kind of a new skin to put on top of the church, but the reality is you are connected to other believers and therefore the church is made up of people. So you is the church. It's correct grammar, I promise. You want to understand the church? Turn to um, Matthew 16. Don't actually do that. Matthew 16, verse uh, 13 through 19, and you can see the first time it was mentioned. I don't have time to go there, because if I go there, trust me, I make the mistake every time when I actually read this text, I get too excited, and then we spend hours more here than you want to be here. So write it down, homework, you can look it up. It's the first time that Jesus uses this word church, and what I want you to see in this is that the church was Jesus's design. It wasn't made up by man. This, there's this idea that somehow you know, Jesus came and, and he sort of, uh, you know, was kind of this good hippie sort of teacher. And then, and then kind of from that, kind of this ragtag group of people somehow figured out how to organize things and then made this organized religion known as Christianity and we call it the church. That's not the truth. The truth is that Jesus himself named the church the church. Did you know Jesus didn't make up the word church? It was a cultural word at the time. It, it's ekklesia, if you want to speak Greek. And it, it, it means the called out ones. Contextually from this passage, what Jesus says is this, that he calls people out by revealing his true identity to them. 
that they see past the facade, they see past the, 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 the kind of pull that culture would try to push them in, past what their natural abilities would be, and they see beyond that to see that he is both God and man, that he came to pay a debt he did not owe that was a debt we could not pay, and thus reconcile us back into right relationship with the Father. That we understand Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that makes us, by default, a part of the church. And what he says, he uses this term ecclesia. They understood it culturally. What it was culturally, how it was used contextually by these people was that sometimes there would be these cities and in certain seasons they would call out a group of people to sit in front of the city, sit at the gates and, and pronounce judgment to be the ruling body over that city. What Jesus is saying, I believe, and lots of commentators agree with me, or maybe I agree with lots of commentators, you're more comfortable with that statement, um, is that what Jesus was saying is this, that he calls out his people both for a purpose and gives them power. I thought Christians would get excited about that idea. That we not only have a purpose, come on, that's worth celebrating, but that we also are given the authority and the power to fulfill that purpose. I know it's Bloomsday. I know there's a lot more blue in the room than normal, but come on, people. Blue in the room, what? You'll get it in a minute. Church is people. What I, why, I, why I say that is this. I, it's my conviction personally that uh, the, the true state and health of a church can be seen far more by its people than its pastors. That the, the reality of where a church is and, and, and the destiny that's on a church and the purpose and the specific uh, destiny that's on a church. And when I'm saying church here, I mean small C church, a local congregation like this one. That, that it, is, it is far more based on the people that God brings together, the, the members than the ministers. Listen, you have, and I'm not just saying this, you, we, we have world-class elders in this church. When we sit around as, as elders, which we'll do tonight, and we pray and we discuss and we seek the Lord, I am in awe every single time as we gather together uh, the caliber of people that God has brought into this place. And we have a, a fantastic staff of people who lay down their lives to see uh, you grow, you succeed, and this, the, the purposes of God fulfilled in and through this church. But I am not convinced that, that God will do great things through this church because of our of our of our staff or because of our elders. I'm convinced because when I look across this church, I see the people that he has gathered here and the purpose and the destiny, the calling, the gifting, and the grace that's in you. Church is far more than its ministers, it's its members. That's the first track we need to kind of have laid down. The second one is this, that those called to do ministry and those called to receive ministry are the same people. You need a title for this morning's message, Beyond Pulpits and Pews. One, what I honestly feel like one of the callings that the Lord has given me on my life is to demolish this invisible fake wall between the stage and the seats. We think ministry happens on a stage and ministry is received in seats. And the reality is true ministry, please hear me, true ministry does not happen on a stage. Real ministry is not what happens on Sunday mornings between 10 and hopefully 9.20, but at the absolute latest, 9.30, 11.30. I'm good with numbers. I want to go real late. Between 10 and 11.20 or 11.30, that's, that's not where real ministry takes place. 
Real ministry happens as we surrender our lives to Jesus and allow him to move through us. And all of us are called to both do that and please hear me and receive that from other people. First Peter chapter four, verse 10. First Peter 4, 10. So it says, each, each, each as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So the gift is grace. Understand that? I don't have time to unpack this, but the gift is grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything, everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You get what that is there. That last, that last two sentences, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That is Paul getting so excited about Christians actually doing something with the grace that they have been given that he just erupts into worship. Purpose of the church is to glorify, to exalt, to magnify Jesus. That happens when each of us use the grace that's in us to serve one another and our cities. This morning we're focusing primarily on, because the text does, on one another. We need to understand that, that you were given grace, not just for you, but for others. There is a deposit of the character and the nature of God in you that is not meant for you, it's meant for somebody else. Do you realize, and I'm just, I don't like talking about myself in this kind of context, but let me just use it as an example. You can apply it to any preacher. I was not given the gift of being able to preach for myself. I don't stand in front of a mirror and do this to me. I do sometimes, but not any time I want to admit to you publicly, Okay. it's a grace that's been given to me that that I need to use. Trust me, ask my kids. I've gone through seasons where for one reason or another, I don't preach and I just start preaching to them. And I I preach my order at Starbucks if I'm not preaching up here. You think I'm kidding. Like find a verse and chapter in, you know, Hebrews, right? That's a bad joke. Um, (laughs) Here's what I want us to see in that though. And then we'll jump into the text and we'll, we'll make our way through. So, what I want us to understand is oftentimes an unwillingness to either serve or be served is the limiting factor to your spiritual growth. Did you ever notice, and this, this was my experience as being, being a, a believer. I, I, I repented and trusted in Christ, called out to him for salvation, and it was like instantly started to grow in the Lord. Instantly started to, to, to see uh, sinful habits decrease and my intimacy with him increase and, and my ability to, to help others and serve others kind of increase and my heart began to change. And then, and then it was like I, I'm, I'm getting poured into by leaders and people are helping me and people are building me up. And then it was like all of a sudden, I kind of hit this ceiling where I just kind of topped off. And I didn't experience growth much anymore. And I was struggling with the same things still. And I was kind of battling the same battles and, and kind of going through the same kind of motions over and over again. And, and the joy of my salvation was lost. And, and kind of church became just kind of this ritual and this routine. And I, I wondered what was going on. And what I've come to realize is this. There is a certain amount of growing you can do without serving others. But there's a barrier that once you, you flip that switch and you, you stop making it about you, I love you, but when you stop making it about you, growth begins to happen again. And that's kind of one I, I've heard, to be honest, other pastors talk about. And I think I even realized that in a message that some other pastor was speaking and realized that I needed to start serving. And so, you know, 
joined a worship team, found a, a way to serve in the, in the local church I was a part of, and, and then all of a sudden it was like the joy came back and, and, and growth came back. But, but here's, here's the other group I want to talk to. Another kind of plateau happened in my life years later where I was the same thing, and now I'm serving, but I'm just going through the motions. It's kind of chugging along and kind of just kind of trudging. Anybody ever trudged? That's a good word, trudge. You don't even need to know what it means. You know what it means. Trudging. It's even hard to say. And I realized what had happened at that point in my life is I had shut off anybody pouring into me. I was so busy pouring into others and doing, I didn't think I needed anybody anymore. I am a pastor. I don't need a pastor. We said for years here in this church that everybody deserves a pastor. Everybody needs a pastor. Everybody needs to be poured into. Grace is, whenever grace is described in the Bible, it carries with it this idea of wind or, or water. It's, it needs to flow. Come on, somebody. It needs to both be flowing. You need grace flowing into you, and you need grace flowing out of you. Grace is a river. Don't build a dam. So sum this up real fast, and then we'll make our way through the text quickly. The church is made up of people who are both ministers and recipients of ministry. We understand those are our two tracks this morning. We together on this as we get ready to make our way through the text. They both happen simultaneously even. So as we discuss what, why, why that's so important to me is this. When we talk about ministry, I want us to understand that we're talking about people. And we talk about ministry. In this text, Paul's talking about those who minister and those who receive ministry. And what I, want, what I need us to realize before we make our way through this is you're both. So you don't get to, this is not a husband-wife talk where the husbands get to shut their minds off while we talk about the wives and the wives get to shut their brains off while we talk about the husbands, like women can shut their brains off. Um, man, we have that ability, don't we? This is one of those times where we need to listen both. Amen? You understand what I'm saying here? We need to understand that when I'm talking to, to ministers, I'm talking to you. And when I'm talking to those who receive ministry, I'm talking to you. Are you together with me? Okay, so let's define ministry from this text. Ministry is a genuine concern for the welfare of others manifested in a willingness to compensate and cover the lack in others, even in the face of personal cost and potential suffering for the sake of Jesus and the gospel. I'm gonna define ministry. That's the simplest way I can define ministry from this text. And, and we'll kind of make our way through this um, together this morning as we kind of walk through. This is what we see when he talks about himself and Timothy and Epaphroditus. Now, before I even start, let me say two things. One, this can only happen from a genuine work of the Holy Spirit. This is not, this message is not a, so you better, I say a genuine concern. You look up that word in the Greek and it means, it means legitimately born. You can't fake this. This has to be a work of the Holy Spirit. This has to be, this has to be Jesus stepping into your life and supernaturally rearranging your priorities and values. Because by our default nature, Paul even mentions this, nobody cares about what Jesus cares about. We all care about ourselves. And we think, if you think that, well, I got, I got saved and baptized, so all that's gone now. <laughs> Wrong. We don't have to be taught selfishness. It's our default. All the parents in the room with toddlers said amen, right? Like it's our default setting is selfishness. So this is a work of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, I need us to understand, and from this, I think it's clear, but I want to make sure it's clear, that ministry, please hear me, genuine ministry 
Genuine ministry is spirituality masquerading as practicality. It's spiritual work that looks like practical work. Fake ministry is practical work trying to pretend to be spiritual. Don't have time to unpack that, but hopefully you get it. So genuine ministry, or ministry is genuine concern for the welfares of others. He talks about this in Philippians 2.20. He talks about Timothy. He genuinely cares. You have to care about people. If you're looking for a place in ministry that you can serve and not give two stinks about people, you're looking in the wrong place. Ministry is about people. Ministry consists of, of being concerned for the welfare, for the well-being, for the growth of other people. It starts, I, I don't mean this to, to, to bother anybody, but it starts with, with actually giving a crap about somebody else. I love you. If you're offended by that, I apologize. If you're not, I'm glad. It, it has to start there. It has to start with something in you caring about somebody else beyond yourself. The Greek word concern literally means to be troubled over the care of somebody else or to seek somebody else's promotion. That's what concern means. When, when, when Paul here says, Timothy is concerned with you, he says he genuinely is troubled about whether or not you're doing well or not. And he wants to come to you not for his own benefit, but so that he might promote you. He can spur you on toward growth. He can, he can see you expand and you grow. Isn't this exactly the heart of John the Baptist? Who said, look, people were like, hey, aren't you upset? Like, Jesus is getting more disciples than you are. And he said, look, I have to decrease so that he can increase. We, we say that and we like want to put it on a bumper sticker and make it like a cliche saying. What he's literally saying is, I'm trying to get out of the way so that people can see Jesus. You think he's getting more disciples than me. My disciples are, are leaving me and abandoning me to go to him. No, I'm sending them to him. It, it's not about me. It's not about me trying to be promoted. It's about promoting others, pushing others toward Christ. This care is, must be genuine. We talked about this already. It has to come from a genuine place. It has to have legitimate birth. It has to be deeper than just some sort of personal, emotional investment in somebody. It's where it starts. Next we say, so it's a genuine concern for the welfare of others manifested in a willingness to compensate and cover. This is great. The lack in others. If you are looking for people like, oh, no, I'm totally cool with ministering to people as long as they're pretty, perfect, and put together. Often as Christians, this is who we look for. We look for either if they're outside the church, we look for what I call pre-Christians. These are people who already act like, walk like, talk like, what we think Christians ought to act like, walk like, talk like. We think we'll just, we'll go, we'll reach out to them. We'll have to reach out to other people. Now, ministry is about covering where somebody lacks. We see this when he talks about Epaphroditus in, in verse 30 of this, of this chapter, where he says, look, he made up what was lacking in you. He's your minister because he makes up the lack that's in your life. Do you understand that there is lack in your life? There are, there are, there are God-designed holes in your giftings and abilities. There are God-designed holes in your strength that he put there so somebody else could cover it. In the body of Christ, there are no lone rangers and there are no supermen. There's nobody who is, ministry is not about lone rangering. It's not about doing it all by yourself, hiding your real identity and trying to somehow like, you know, be the savior of all the people. We already have a savior. Hello. His name's Jesus. You don't get to be that. 
in the great play of the history of the world, the starring role has already been taken. The best we get to play is a supporting character. There are no lone rangers. You can't do it alone, and you're not designed to hide your identity. There also are no supermen. I, as a kid, remember, I was so confused by the idea, sorry, nerd moment, you are warned. I was so confused by the idea in the comic books of the Justice League, this team that was with Superman. Because I'm like, why does he need any of these Jokers? Not like Joker, that's a different character in the story. Joker's not a part of the Justice League, I know that. All the nerds were like, mm, um. I, he, he can like move faster than everything. He can shoot laser beams out of his eyes and he's stronger than everybody. He could just do it all by himself. He's like slowing himself down to make room for other people. There are no supermen in the body of Christ. You can't do everything. You need other people. Other people need to come around. You need to make space in your life for other people. Ministry is about covering one another's lack. Y'all are being way too nice this morning. See, we, we instead want to try to be upset and angry with people's lack. Well, they shouldn't really, and I, that, they should figure that stuff out in their life. Well, one, maybe you're supposed to cover that in their life. Hello. And two, maybe you're supposed to teach them how to cover that in their life. The strength that's in you is for them. Now, we got to also, this is, this is that double-sided thing. We're going to get to receiving ministry in a minute. You got to be open to letting people do that to you as well. Can't pretend like you're Superman. You can't pretend like you don't have lack or need or, or gaping huge holes in your life sometimes. I don't mean to shock anyone, but do you know that my wife and I don't always perfectly get along? Do you know that we've actually had to read books about marriage, not just so we could teach you how to have a good marriage, but so we could figure this thing out? Because she is perfect, and she married a dinglehopper. We got to get over this idea that like pastors have to be perfect. Well, he's on the stage. He's got to have all of his stuff together. Literally, I do not have most of my stuff together. Well, why are you up there? Because this is where God called me to be. It has nothing to do with me earning this spot. Do you think I earned this spot? No. That's why I can stand up here confidently because it was given to me. And if he ever wants to take it back, he's welcome to do that. I'll just preach my orders at Starbucks. We all need one another. We all need to stand next to one another. Last part of this little statement. So genuinely concerned for the welfare of others, manifested in, 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 a, in a willingness to compensate and cover the lack in other people. Catch this, please, even in the face of personal cost. If you're looking for a ministry you can do that won't cost you anything, you can't find one. We, we've said this for years. God, God has invested in each and every one of you time, talent, and treasure. Time, talent, and treasure. We've added another one, a testimony. You, you've got time. I don't have time. You ha if you're alive, you have time. You just maybe are bad at managing time. <laughs> Hello, me. Um, <laughs> you have talent. You have treasure. Maybe not a lot of it, but you've got some of it. That's money. It's just a nice way of saying money because people get offended when pastors say money. <laughs> you guys are like, no, I'm never offended when you say money. Sure. Um, you're in church, you shouldn't lie. And you have a testimony. You have, you, have, you have the testimony of how God brought you to himself. You have a testimony of how God has provided for you. And the reality is ministry is going to cost you one, if not all of those things. 
I've yet to find a ministry that does not take time. I've yet to find a ministry that does not take money. I've yet to find a ministry that does not take some degree of ability. And I've yet to find ministry that does not involve us sharing the goodness of God and how he has manifested himself to us. Ministry comes always at a cost. As ministers, we need to be willing to pay that cost. Now, let me really be really super careful here. I think of, when I think of paying the cost, my brain goes immediately to the account of David buying the field that the temple would eventually be built on. If, if you're not familiar with the Old Testament, I don't have a ton of time this morning, but um, let me just give you the, the, the brief synopsis. David's king of, of Israel at the time, and he wants to build a permanent place, a permanent building, a permanent church, you could say in modern lingo, for, for God to dwell and rest in. And he wants to, he wants to build it there. And, and so he finds the right place, finds the best piece of land, and he goes to the guy who owns it. And the guy says, oh, no, I'll just give it to you. And David says, he says this great phrase that pastors use all the time, I will not offer unto the Lord something that does not cost me anything. I want, to get, I want to pay the cost for it. And we all cheer, and I've stood up in front of churches and pay the cost, yeah, and you take up an offering right after that, right? Usually used in building programs, right? Like, we won't offer the Lord something that doesn't cost us anything. Here's the problem. Read the context, and it talks about how much crap David owns in the chapter previously. And he owns so much stuff, and then you compare what he has to what he paid for the land, which there's this huge argument amongst commentators, nerd moment, about like whether he paid a fair price or more or less or whatever. Most commentators agree he got like a screaming deal on the property, and compared to what he owned, it really didn't cost him anything. It'd be like Bill Gates giving you $1,000. It's not a big deal. It'd be like me giving you 10 cents. It's not a big deal. Yeah, I'm like a hundred there. Um, sometimes my wife gives me money. Um, no, it, it, and I think, here's the thing. I think David is a great picture for us, actually. I'm not denying that that statement isn't a good one for us to realize. We just need to understand the context. And here's what I mean by the context. You have been shown more grace than you could ever give to someone else. No, 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 you did not hear me. You have offended God far more than anyone has offended you. And I'm aware that some of you sitting in this room have had horrific things done to you. And I'm not making light of those things. What I'm saying is Christ has paid more for your salvation than you could ever give to somebody else, letting them off the hook for whatever horrible thing they've done to you. You have been given more than you ever could give. This idea of you can't outgive God has been used to manipulate and get money out of people's pockets. That's not what it's all about. You cannot serve others more than God has already served you. If he does nothing else good for you in your entire life, he has already shown you more grace than you ever could show somebody else. So yes, pay the cost, and yes, keep it in check. You have already been given far more than you could ever give somebody else. And I understand there are seasons where we need to receive ministry more than we are capable of giving it out, but it's never an excuse to not be pouring it out, and it's never an excuse not to be receiving it. So I've got to go quick now. That's ministry. I said I wanted to make two observations from the text. That is ministers, that's ministry. We do that. Again, it has to be work of the Holy Spirit. has to be, has to be. Often it is spirituality masquerading as practicality. Often it's, it's something as simple as saying hi to someone as they walk through the doors. That's ministry. Don't have time to dig into that too far. Want to land the plane sort of here. Um, 
those who minister like this, okay, the people who do this, shifting gears here now, we're talking about those who receive ministry. Those who minister like this are to be honored, celebrated, and received with joy, according to this text. This is not me trying to get a raise or trying to get you to come watch my kids for free or trying to get you to take me out to lunch, okay? Let's just settle that right now. My wife will let me buy my own lunch. Those who serve in this way are supposed to be honored. When I think of honored in in the context of ministry, I, I think of it as honoring an invitation. I don't think of it honoring and like we put them on a pedestal. There's only one pedestal in the church and Jesus sits on top of it, okay? Right, we all good with this? Okay, when I think of honoring, when, when Paul here says honor such men, honor people who serve like Epaphroditus is serving, honor people who serve like Timothy is serving, I, I believe what he's saying is if I invite you to a party and you honor that invitation, what do you do? Show up. When we honor people who minister, we honor them by receiving the ministry that they offer to us. I, I get to travel a little bit and, and, and speak at other churches and have a lot more in, in, in the past than I do now. My heart and my attention and my affection is here with you people, so I don't really like to travel anymore. But um, what I need us to understand is this. I have gone to places and tried to preach, and it's like preaching against a brick wall. And I've gone to some places like this place where preaching is very easy. And I can tell that hearts are open and people are receptive to what it is you're saying. I'm not saying you all agree with everything I'm saying, but there's a receptiveness. If you want to honor those who are serving, receive their ministry. I like that song. It's okay. We receive them and we respect the gift that God has given them. By honoring the person, we're actually honoring the grace that's in them, given to them by Jesus. So we're actually, we are honoring in the sense of lifting up Jesus and by receiving the grace that has been implanted in them for us. Next, I said we need to celebrate them. Celebrate, celebrate does not mean celebritize. And we kill that right now. I'm sick of the Christian celebrity. No desire to be one. I have no desire to promote one. I have no desire to propagate that culture. By celebrating it, what I, I do not mean that we do that. What I mean is that we recognize that it's costing that person to minister to us. Their time, their talent, their treasure, whatever it is, whatever thing they're pouring in is, we ought to celebrate the goodness of God in allowing them to pay and, and, and to, to, to be a conduit of paying that price. And then rejoice. Be happy that there are people to serve and be happy that we can serve. Amen? Ought to be something that is filled with joy. Joy over how God has delivered grace and covered our weakness.